If you didn't happen to bring a Bible with you this morning, uh, we have one for you uh, so you can follow along. Uh, we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3, 8 through 13 this morning, and, um, and we'll kind of start out in Acts chapter 6. So if you want to find those two places, Acts chapter 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, we're going to take a, take a cruise through those two sections of scripture. What a day yesterday was, huh? Yeah. I, wo- I woke up this morning going, oh, that's where those muscles went. You know, it went for a run and a bike ride and uh, a walk. It was awesome. Yeah. The only thing I didn't do is go kayaking. Someone wanted to. But I was like, hey, if we fall in that water, we've got uh, about, how many minutes do you think you'd have in 43 degree water? 10? Ooh, spoken like a true engineer. How warm were you when you fell in? 98 point. <laughs> I think you'd chill out pretty quickly I think think your life expectancy is probably about 10 minutes that's about it so I guess the they tell me like the between the water temperature and the ambient air temperature it has to equal like 120 or something like that so what is it 110 so we're not far off. Concord River will be before the, before, uh, uh, the, the, yeah, the, or the bays, you know, the coves. So anyway, um, good to see you this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 8 through 13. So let's pray, and then we'll begin our study. Father, we thank you for this morning, and Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, and, and Lord, that if we're in a place where we're, we're wondering um, how can we serve you, I pray, Lord, that uh, you would give each one of us wisdom and insight of, of how we can uh, participate with you in caring for people and expanding your kingdom. And so, Lord, speak to our hearts this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, yes. You, I've fallen. I've I've fallen in in July, and I don't think I don't think it could last forty five minutes. You guys are out of control. See, this is like this craziest church. Like I got Paul Hayes last week that's saying, "Well, I feel good if I say no to you." I'm like, what? <laughs> it's like these pesky peeps, <laughs> PPs. <laughs> oh. Last week we looked at what an overseer is, and an overseer. <laughs> uh, we, last week we looked at what an overseer is, uh, that role that they play in the life of the church, and we certainly looked at the that the biblical synonyms that go along with that 
with that uh, role of overseer, being uh, bishop, uh, being elder, uh, being pastor. And what we looked at last week in the text is how Paul used uh, not cultural issues, but he used uh, creation order uh, to establish that role being male uh, in the life of the church. Um, This morning, we're going to look at uh, deacons, and I'm going to make a case for deaconesses, and then I'm going to say, well, we don't use (laughs) either one of those terms here, so it ought to be an interesting study uh, this morning. But uh, when we start out uh, in our text in verse 8, Paul says this, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. There's really two key words there as we begin. Uh, The first one is likewise. And what Paul is uh, uh, progressing from, he's, he's saying that overseers, bishops, pastors, elders, uh, that the overseer of the church, that they must have inner transformation uh, that expresses itself externally in Christ-like behavior. And so, likewise is a really key word uh, when you look at Paul's progression from, say, overseers to deaconesses, uh, to, to deacons to deaconesses, and then back to uh, him addressing deacons. Because it's the same thing across the board in any church leadership position. Any church leadership position is is made credible by the transformation that Christ works in the person's inner life and inner heart that, that demonstrates the fruit of the Holy Spirit working its way out from the inside out. And so likewise, in the same manner, in the same fashions, deacons should have experienced that inner transformation in life. And I know that um, we've been looking at these aspects of spiritual leadership in the context of our own church and in the context of our own culture. And so, so often in church life, and, and especially in our part of the country, someone rises to the level of spiritual leadership because they've been nominated by the nominating committee, and usually what they're looking for is people that can, uh, can help their bottom line and people that have good business skills and people that, you know, kind of uh, uh, have good uh, people skills. And, you know, some of those things are really needed, uh, but some of those things can be really, really detrimental to the life of a church because the church is not a business. Church is primarily a family. And so that's why the qualifications have to do with character and the proving ground for, for church leadership is found where? In the home. And so all of that uh, reflects the values that we aspire to here at Calvary Chapel is to have uh, the leadership of the, rechur- uh, of the church have actually experienced transformation in Christ because you can't, you can't teach what you don't know, and you can't replicate uh, Christ-likeness unless you've experienced that in your own heart and life. That's why Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And so, likewise, is a a very important 
transition piece, especially when we get to talk a little bit about how this applies to, to uh, ladies in the midst of our church. And this first verse, not only is character important, likewise, but also we need to kind of answer the question, what is a, what is a deacon? Like, what, what is that? Because in different places, it means different things. In some places, a deacon is someone that's ordained and someone that functions in sacerdotal ways and uh, delivering communion or, or in, in some places, uh, they have a sacramental view of grace. You know, so a deacon could be an ordained person that delivers those type of things to, uh, to the parishioners. In some places, and this is the majority in our area, a deacon is, is the person that is on the board of directors and controls finances and facility and hires and fires the pastor. So deacons are used in, in a lot of different ways in churches, especially in our geographic area in the country. It's primarily used to identify the person that's on the board of directors that determines facility and finances and hires and fires the pastor. Um, but biblically, deacons literally means what? Servant or even more literal than that means waiting on tables. And so um, it's... Waiting on tables is is not something I I see many of us signing up to do, um, and you say, well, what, is, what what does it really mean? It really describes the function of a Christian who is a servant to God's people. That's it. We kind of formalize that term, um, but it really does mean a servant. So come with me to Acts chapter six, and let's look a little bit at the history of the early church and how deacons came to be and kind of kind of pop your bubble a little bit that that it has really to do with function but it's not limited to waiting on tables as we're going to see in the life of Stephen who is a deacon and so we come to Acts chapter 6 verse 1 it says now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number and so after uh, uh, Coming out of Pentecost, how many people were added to the life of the church in Jerusalem? 3,000. That's an awesome number, but it was tens of thousands that, that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. We're going to celebrate that next Sunday. And the disciples were full of the Holy Spirit, and the boldness that came over them is that they went about proclaiming that he is risen, he has risen indeed, and people were swept into the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, that the disciples, when they went out, they were just grabbing on to pieces of cloth, trying to get in Peter's shadow, because the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel, was followed by signs and wonders. And so they went out and preached the gospel, and people were converted, people were healed, those that were had demon possession were delivered, and there was this amazing outpouring of, of the Holy Spirit and the advancement of the gospel. And the church just was flooded, flooded with people, which caused what? Cause problems. Like, if, like we look at our church, man, if we added 30 people, wow, we'd be like, woohoo, you know? If we added 300, we'd be like, holy, holy mackerel, you know? That's, 
the Holy Spirit term from New England. If you're, if you're from New Hampshire, it's holy cow. Um, but, but we would be like thrilled, you know? Uh, but it would, it would bring forth some problems. It says, so now in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And so you had these impoverished people. Being a widow in that day was, was not a good deal at all. And so the church rose to the occasion to meet the needs of the women that were widows in the day. And there was, um, you know, distinctions being made between the Hebrews and the Greek-speaking people. Uh, And so the church had a problem, and they're going to address it. So uh, verse 2, and the 12, who are they? Who are the 12? They're They're the apostles chosen by Christ. And so they had to figure it out. They had, it's such a great, um, kind of uh, example of how the early church made decisions. They didn't call the board of deacons. Said, you know, hey, we need, we need to vote on something. And not, not at all. The, the, the disciples got together and they, they prayed and they said, Lord, what should we do? So we're looking at verse 2. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. It's not that one's better than the other. It's both needed to happen. And so the Lord gave them wisdom. The Lord gave them insight. And you see that in verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and six other guys. And what we see here is that that the primary role of the person that was called deacon, waiting on tables, wasn't so much about people, but it was about it was about things, taking care of things to facilitate the ministry of the apostles. Now, what is the role of a deacon? Well, if we're looking at Stephen as an example, it has much more to do with function than anything else. Because Stephen was full of the what? The Holy Spirit. And if you're full of the Holy Spirit, you're going to give witness to what God has done in your life. And I'm not going to read this here, but in chapter 7, that's a pretty good speech that Stephen, both of historical significance and theological depth. And so when you consider a deacon, it's just not about, just not about that aspect of, say, servanthood, although that's the precipitating thing. That's the thing that's driving it. But when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you're going to express the gospel. You're going to preach the gospel. You're going to proclaim the gospel. And that's what happened to Stephen. And the people didn't like it, so they arrested him. And they were, he was stoned to death. And in the middle of that, Stephen, just a servant, just a peep like you and I, Stephen has a vision of God the Father and Jesus Christ standing at his right-hand side. So you see this amazing aspect, and I think that when we view deacon, 
We need to view it in the light of function, someone called to serve, but not limited because he, Stephen, had gifts and abilities, and God used all those, those gifts and abilities. And so come back to um, our text, 1 Timothy, if you would. And we're in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and let's look at the next verse. They must, speaking of the deacons, they must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Mysterion means this, something that was hidden but is now revealed. And what was hidden was what we're looking at, say, in the church calendar today. Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a what? On a donkey, a colt. And the imagery there is not one of a mighty conquering warrior. It's one that we look at Isaiah 53. It's that suffering servant. And we have the Old Testament. You know, we, we read that and said, we read Isaiah 53 and we know, oh, that's Jesus. He's, he's, his first coming as a suffering servant, second coming, as we look in Revelation, with a mighty warrior, as a mighty warrior. But what was hidden was the suffering servant. And, you know, like we read these texts in the Old Testament, you go, oh, we got it. You know, we, we, we understand Jesus came to die suffering servant. But they didn't know that. They didn't know, they didn't know the fullness of that. They were looking forward to it, but they didn't know it. We look back to it because we know what happened. So Old Testament saints, they're saved the same we are. Same, Old Testament saints are saved the same way we are. They look forward in faith to Jesus Christ. We just look back to Jesus Christ in saving faith. When we look at this mystery, it has to be um, received by the deacon. So church leadership is, is primarily... Uh, the primary action that brings about church leadership isn't a skill set, it's a transformation. When we look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, you, you see Paul's testimony. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointed me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecuted, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, the saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's what we want in church leadership. We want sinners. No, we don't. Yes, we do. We want, but we want saved sinners. We, we want sinners that have been transformed from the inside out. We want sinners that, have, that are not perfect, but are, but are being sanctified. We want leaders that are, that are not perfect. Well, where's Paul Hayes? He's not here today. Paul Hayes needs to be sanctified. <laughs> he ain't going around saying, you know, yeah, I, I said no to Conway. I said, that boy needs to repent. <laughs> you go get him for me. Anyway, we do, <laughs> thank you for that advertisement. We, we, want, we want leaders, men and women in our church, that have experienced the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ in their heart. Because they will dispense grace and mercy 
as they've forgiven, as they've been forgiven by Christ, they will forgive others. They will lead from a place of grace. And they will lead from a place of one that has tasted that God is good. And they will be dispensers of God's mercy. And so Paul says this is what we're looking for in a spiritual leader. The text goes on in verse 10. It says, let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. And what's so beautiful about this verse, it reflects back to Psalm, this is not in your notes, to Psalm 66.10. It reflects back to Isaiah 48, 9 through 11. It, ref, it, it reflects back to that refiner's fire that the imagery of purifying metals is part of the process of identifying the spiritual leaders in the church. And, and in the, the, the little verse here, it gives us kind of a, a three-step process. First, we observe the person's life. Then, if the person's life is, has experienced Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior, and we can see the work of the Holy Spirit and spiritual fruit being produced in the person's life, we, we acknowledge that. And then we give them opportunity to serve, which gives them opportunity to experience uh, conflict and difficulty and challenges. We look at them in the midst of their family. Are they able to take care of their family? And then the third step is really about releasing them. And we see that over and over again in the life of our church. We watch, look at their family, give people opportunity. We'll give anybody an opportunity to serve the Lord here. Anyone, no matter what your past looks like, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior and you're walking towards Him, that's a good place. You've got something to offer. God can use you here. So often in, in church life, people like disqualify themselves because they used to be a sinner. Well, I say, if you're recognizing that you're a sinner, that's good. The only thing I want to ask you, have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? And if you've done that, you just keep your eyes on him, and he'll get you to where, where you need to go. And so what we see here is let them also be tested, and then let them serve. Now here we come to verse 11, and verse 11 is fascinating. So we're going to read two translations, the ESV and the Williams New Testament. Williams New Testament is a lot more wooden, a lot more, say, literal, and... Uh, in the ESV, as your text is, most of you have an ESV. Uh, some of you ancient people have a King James Version, but that's all right. Um, their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Now, look at the word choices that Paul uses. He uses the same formula that he's used previously. He uses the word what? Likewise. In the same manner as the overseers, in the same manner as the deacons, there needs to be, in women, there needs to be the evidence of spiritual transformation in their life. Now, William's New Testament translated, translates it this way. The deaconesses, too, must be serious. Why does that translation use that? Because of several reasons. One is that the Greek word for women can be used for wives and for who? 
Oh, yeah, just a Greek scholar, yeah. It can be used as wise and women, depending upon context. And context is important here because Paul is precise in his language because he is being led by the Holy Spirit. He's not random in his language, and he's not random when you look at Paul, especially when you go through Romans. He's not random in the word choices he used to describe spiritual realities. And what Paul omits here is the personal pronoun there. And so you just get women, but in the context of Paul flowing and talking about spiritual offices in the church. So my premise here, a thesis, you're you're welcome to accept it or reject it, but when Paul uses the term likewise, he's talking about this is what women should look like, likewise in the same what? In the same fashion as characterized as the overseers, as the male deacons. And the absence of the personal pronoun forces, forces us to use women not in conjunction with wise, but women as, as women. Now, I have some other um, thoughts that, that when you get to a place in Scripture where, you know, you can, where context doesn't really, is, is not definitive, then, or a word is not definitive in its immediate context, what do you do? You go a little bit farther. Go a little bit farther. Where else has Paul used that same word? Where else has he express the same concept. And Paul, and Paul has a consistent record. He talks about Phoebe in Romans 16, 1 through 2, as what? As a deaconess. And so Paul, where, where something you might not be able to figure out, you just go a little bit farther, and you see that he attributes this word, uh, diaconess, deaconess, deaconess, to Phoebe, a, uh, a leader that he acknowledges in, in a great treatise of, I, I forget how many people are in Romans 16, 38, 42 different people Paul uh, makes, makes note of. Another aspect that I bring into the, to the argument here, it's consistent with the servanthood that's, that's expressed throughout the New Testament, where we have Priscilla... Aquila's wife working together with her husband and serving the church and speaking and instructing Apollos in the ways of the Lord. Same thing with with Lydia. Lydia Paul comes and she uh, is one of his uh, uh, first convert and opens her home and you see the flourishing of the kingdom uh, through Lydia's what? servanthood, and then you see Dorcas, or Tabitha, who is an amazing woman. Amazing woman. You know, she passes away, and all the women are bringing, you know, bringing the clothes and everything that she did, and Peter does what? What happens to Dorcas, Tabitha? Boom! Resurrection. That'll get your attention. You know, we'd like to see that here. Who would like to die, and we'll give it a test. <laughs> you go first. <laughs> and so there was this great, great move of the Holy Spirit. Great move of the Holy Spirit. And the church looked for people 
that would serve. Another aspect of this, and I'll appeal to church history. The functions of deacons was not to oversee people, but to oversee things. And they weren't limited to things, but the primary call was things, not overseeing people. And finally, when you look at church history, Ignatius and Polycarp, they're always mentioning women in the same way we see women operating in our church. You see, um, our A616 ministry, what do you th- where do you think we got the name for our, our kind of benevolent ministry that, that Marianne leads up? Oh, you guys are too quick. <laughs> so Acts 616. And the context of that, about 10 years ago, I went away on vacation. Uh, I understand some of you think God lives in Florida, but he doesn't. Florida is just God's waiting room. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the waiting room for heaven. You know, you go to Florida, you know, you live another 10 years, and your, num- your number gets called, St. Peter calls your number, and you're just a lot closer. That's all. It's more closer to the equator, which is really closer to heaven. You know, they kind of have like a, a, it's a quicker on-ramp. But God really in the summer lives up in Lake Winnipesaukee. I mean, it, it is the truth. I mean, and I was up there visiting with God in the summertime, and, uh, and I'm cautious to say this, but I, we had some elderly people. <laughs> like, like you, you ever notice how that term gets pushed out? <laughs> you keep on pushing that baby out there, you know? Now, the new elderly is like, I think, 80, you know? Um, but I was up in Winnipesaukee, and this is the truth. We had a couple more mature saints um, that had problems, and, they, and there wasn't anybody that they connect with, could connect with. There wasn't anybody like, and I said, enough of this. This, this, this can't go on. And so at A616, that's how it started, just like we see in Acts 6, 1 through 6, how there were needs within the fellowship. And, you know, there's a place for you to serve here. You know, if you're not serving, you know, here's the call to you. You know, find a place where you can contribute. It doesn't have to. You don't have to uh, do some heroic thing, but you could certainly help us out with Act six one, uh, A616 ministry. You can certainly help us out by being a greeter and, and helping pe- people feel like they've come home and, and the Lord's here for them. Um, you can certainly help us out by hosting a home fellowship group. You can certainly help us out by aspiring to be a Bible teacher, an elder here in the church, you can certainly help us out with that. And, it, and wherever your gifts are at, find a place to use them. And, you know, if you're really talented and been here a while and know your Bible, we might let you teach our children. We'll let you do anything else quicker than that. But you ain't teaching our children unless you're really sharp. How's that? What does that say about a homes group? What does that say about our home group leaders? They are not quite as smart as the Sunday school teachers. (laughs) Nor as patient. (laughs) So, now I've said all of that. Spent most of the teaching time talking about deaconesses. And here's the funny part. We don't use the term at all. We don't use deacon or deaconesses. Why? 
because it's just a term to describe servanthood. And so what we want to use is functional titles. If you're teaching Sunday school, you are a Sunday school teacher. If you're leading a small group, you are a small group leader. If you are a boss lady, you're an administrator. Right? So we use functional titles to describe function. We don't get hung up on the, on the term deacon. Who's a deacon? Here's the secret about church life. The quickest way to have someone stop serving is to give them a title. <laughs> Once they get the title, they need a bigger jacket. Their chest goes like this, they, you know, and they begin... You know, they begin ruling. We get enough rulers around here. I got enough rulers. What we need is real servants that are not concerned with position and title as much as they are caring for the hearts of people. And I would hope that the Holy Spirit would be speaking to some of you this morning that, you know, you've been sitting here for a while. And it's enjoyable. And uh, But there, there comes a time where you got to step up and serve the Lord. And I can't, you know, I can use guilt. And if I have to, I will. But, <laughs> but you know, you got to step up and serve. And, th- and that's the point here. Find a place. If you don't know where, come and talk to, come and talk to me. Come and talk to Natasha. Come and talk to Jennifer. And we'll find a place for you that matches your gifts and your availability. All right, let's bring this to a close. Uh, Deacons each, uh, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. The proving ground from pastoral ministry is found in the home. Uh, Verse 13, for those who serve well as deacons, gain a good standing for themselves and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 13 can kind of fly over your head. You say, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, Paul. But no one really wanted to be a servant in those days. Even though the Roman economy, the Roman Empire was based upon slavery. No one really wanted to sign up to be a slave. But Paul echoes, affirms uh, the words of Jesus that the greatest amongst you will be your servant. And it's the same today. No one wants to sign up really. Hey, I got a job for you. You are going to be the commode king. Yes! (laughs) Yes! <laughs> Brush and plunger. No one wants to sign up for that. But baby, I'll tell you, if those commodes don't work, I'm the first person that finds out about it. We're going right to the top. <laughs> it wasn't a value then. It's not a value today. But unless the practical things are addressed in church life, then not much else is going to take place. So my encouragement to you this morning is, whether you're a man or a woman, you know, find a place to serve the Lord. And we're committed to making room for you. And so wherever you can contribute as much or as little as you're available, we want to, we want to find a way to make that happen. And, and uh, in closing, I just say there's other places, you know, that we know of that people are connected here, but they have... They have ministries that are outside the church. And so you might find yourself coming to us, but we're going to connect you with 
with uh, someone that, that attends here but has a ministry somewhere else. All right. Um, I like these Q&A, but you won't get more than one. So I've been admonished by boss ladies not to continue to say one more, one more, one more. But I can take a couple questions. So if you have a question about how this fleshes out in our church or, you know, you just have a comment about the text, we can, we can take a few of those this morning. Um, and then we're going to close with the Lord's table. So a question, a comment, a thought. What do you got? Yeah, just stand up, tell us your name, and ask, ask away. That's a, that's a great question. So is church polity, church governance, um, is church polity or church govern, government an essential, uh, how did you put it? Oh, is it an essential part of the doctrine? My opinion is not, it's not because you can prove three different forms of church government from the scriptures. You can, you can prove an Episcopal form of church government, which is, um, uh, you know, a strong pastor model where, you know, everything flows around him. So uh, you can, I think there's uh, warrant for a congregational form of government. You can see people interacting with each other. Uh, a Presbyterian form of church government where elder rule church. You can see those three in the scriptures. Uh, and when you look at the, uh, you know, Christianity as a whole pre, pre-Constantine, so uh, pre-Edict of Milan, th- pre-314, it, there was a really uh, a shift to a, a mono-episcopal form of church government with a bishop over a geographic area. I think that's kind of where we're at in, in that I function that way over small groups and, and other ministers and other deacons and using New Testament language, other elders. Um, I think that's the way we function here. But it's done in a collegiate and collaborative way. I know I'm throwing out a lot of words that need to be defined, but, but that's, who, that's how we work. But it doesn't determine your salvation. Yeah, except that with Paul Hayes. I mean, I think he's... I love it when he's not here, don't you? Uh, yeah, so it doesn't... And, and you know, here's a, here's a point. There is no form of church government that has prevented uh, the abuse of children and sexual immorality. Not a one. We have churches in our community that they think the the... The, the world rises and falls on congregationalism, and they are just as abusive in need of correction as anybody else. We've got, you know, Presbyterian churches here where pastors gone off the rail. Whole churches have gone off the rail. Uh, and so no form of church government is the guarantee. The guarantee is do you have the senior pastor who's accountable uh, and lives a transparent life. If you don't have that, you know, one of the congregational churches, uh, 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 you know, pastor was voted in, you know, uh, had to get everything approved, but he decided that he was going to shock up with the church secretary, and that's exactly what he did. Practically destroyed the church. So there's no 
there's no right one form of church government. Does that make sense? Just go yes or no. All right. Next question. That is really a nasty question. It's very good. Yeah. And yes, Mary. Hey, A six one six lead. How you doing? One wife at a time. One wife at a time. Yeah. So, yes. Next. All right. We good? Uh, we're good. <laughs> okay, last one. You got to stand and say, my name is. No, no, no. Let them, there's, we have people here that are. He's a problem. Watch out. Go ahead. Praise God for that wife, yes. Uh, I just wanted to comment about Baptist church and how we have yeah. people. Yeah. And we've been speaking for months. Yes. One lady was in Yavo. She was a, a married lady in the church, and she was just a woman that, even when the men were the top, the gossip and it was too strong. Yes. It was a great, a great community, and we did being plural. Yes. Yes. I have like five or six of them you can uh, take care of. <laughs> so I hope what you're getting is a real balanced view of Scripture and the vital role that, that women play in the life of the church. And, um, and as you look at us as a church, you just look at the platform this morning and, um, you know, you've got... Uh, a worship leader who's a gal. You've got the uh, Su- Susie and, and crew that that did the, the kiddo stuff. You've got boss lady Jennifer, you know, who comes up here. Um, it's really, it's a, I think it's a really sweet balance, and it, and it honors and glorifies Christ and, and values both men and women and the gifts and the abilities that are so essential in having a healthy church. Amen? All right, let's prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's table this morning. Uh, If you're going to pray for people, if you could come on up now, uh, that would be helpful. Take a minute, prepare your heart. Uh, If you need to make something right with the Lord, please do that. Uh, And then step into some grace.